Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leishman to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is, Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show. It is Inside the Ropes, episode number 64. Lovely to be here. Great to have your company alongside Mark Hayes, as always, hello, you big bear of a man. How are you going? Hello, Mario. I'm particularly um, in a good mood today, having just pumped you in NFL fantasy. That's so disappointing. I mean, Chris Thompson, has he busted his leg again? Well, let's not talk about that. <laughs> My team really stinks at the moment. Well, why are we so invested? I get so invested in this stupid game. I go on this ridiculous emotional roller coaster. I get up early in the morning to watch my stupid players play. I don't know what Alison Whitaker joins. Can you please make some sense out of all of this for me, please? I can make no sense of it at all. I have to say, no, you're on your own there. Well, you lived over there for how many years were you over at Duke? Uh, I was there for four years and lived there for an extra three, so seven years total. Did you not fall in love with American football while you were over there? Um, fall in love is a strong way to put it. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. I understood it by the time I left, which I think was a victory in itself. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once I left, I was back in back on AFL train. Do you, Come do on. you get fantasy sports? Like, are you into are you a sports nerd who gets involved in any thoughts kind of fantasy leagues anywhere? I guess my, my fantasy league is trying to work out who's going to win each week and being right. <laughs> that's that's what really gets me going is if, if I am ever right, which yep. is very hard to do in golf. It's one of the hardest sports oh, to predict. So, you know, usually pick three at the start and then, uh, you know. That's a fantasy, a... <laughs> a fantasy for me, Andy, oh, to, get, it is. to be a golf prediction. One every couple of years will do, mate. Correct. Uh, righto, there's a load to talk about. Um, Catherine Kirk's going to join us. James Nitty's going to join us. Uh, uh, as we review the UL International Crown and look forward to the Victorian PGA. Um, there's a load to get through, though. Uh, and We'll finish the first seg with Catherine Kirk when we get to the the Crown. and talk. Hopefully you can explain to me. You need to explain some things to me, Al, as a result of all of that because <laughs> the way I look at it, we had a better record than some teams who played in the playoffs that we didn't make even though we had a better record than certainly Thailand. I don't know how this all works out. So are you going to be able to explain that to me a bit later on? Yeah, I'll try and cut it down from about seven and a half minutes Please. down into something that right. works for radio. <laughs> Righto. So last week you weren't on the show, um, but I'm sure you were having conversations about the Ryder Cup uh, wherever you were this time last week like we were. And the fallout continues, Hazy. Um, you said there was going to be a bit more in the Patrick Reed story in particular. That's panned out pretty. Oh, that was bang on. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that's going to end up. To be honest, Andy. I mean, and we don't want to waste too much time talking about the politics of American golf again. But he's said so much to incriminate himself, and he's had no help from his wife and his mother-in-law on the social media front, and he's put himself in a predicament now where Captain America's probably had to put the cape away for a little while. I think. So, it, you know, I think people are big enough and um, clever enough to figure out that the United States didn't play well, you know, and they didn't mm. adapt to the circumstances and, you know, move on. 
But no, there's been a bit of a... The players would say a media-led push to find out the reason why, and that's fine, but the players seem to also rally behind Jim Furyk almost to a man. <laughs> but that one man is so far out on the ledge by himself now that it's ridiculous. So Patrick Reed is knocked... You know, he's incriminated the boss, he's knocked his teammates, he's done everything that is largely unpalatable to me. I don't know about you or you, Ali, I've got no idea, but he's he's an isolated figure at the best of times, and he's just shoved that island a little bit further off the coast right now. I think that the one thing that we've taken away from team competitions in the last, say, really only like six years is that team dynamic really matters. You know, you talk about like the pod system, it happened in the Solheim Cup and that was stolen from the Ryder Cup where players are essentially divided amongst the team into personality types. So they take personality um, questionnaires Hmm. and then they're actually lumped together um, into, say, three or four pods within the group and they usually do everything within that pod. Um, The US side used it. Uh, for the last two Solheim Cups, and one, like one of the pods is called the Princess Pod, and like obviously <laughs> some of the hardest people to handle on the team, but at the same time they they do everything together, so it doesn't bother anyone. Like they're they're kind of isolated and insulated. But what Patrick Reed's done is is so far off course with what the direction and the kind of breakthroughs of those team competitions has actually been. No, oh, absolutely no. It's a, a couple of you know veteran American players who have been through the Ryder Cup. Um, you know, team environment are saying that he's pretty much rendered himself. He's certainly rendered himself unpickable. So he just yeah. needs to be an automatic qualifier. And then how that dynamic, how he is going to fit in the team dynamic from now on, who's going to trust him? Who's going to say what around him for fear of it, you know, getting out. Um, as I think I saw one of the American golf writers um, tweet this morning that, uh, if somebody isn't already planning on getting some hidden cameras locked away inside the change rooms <laughs> of the venue for the next Ryder Cup already, uh, somebody's not doing their job properly because in the American team change rooms because there's bound to be something coming out of it if the performance from France is replicated in two years' time. So, um, so Ali, what did you make? Was there anything to do with... Uh, that we are unaware of with Kepka and Johnson and a punch-up? Oh, that seems to me a massive beat up to me and I know that elsewhere on social media there was talk about uh, you know a bit of a to-do on a plane and, and they've tracked down a few passengers that were sitting next to the team and they said absolute nonsense so nothing to see here move along is that the same way with the, with the alleged fight in inverted commas? <laughs> I always think that if something's got out something usually happened especially in golf like golf is it's not basketball it's not baseball you know it's not one of the most highest profile games that usually if you're hearing it, it happened. But whether or not the magnitude is actually matched in the media as opposed to in reality, that might be a bit of a different story. But well, I'm sure there was some butting of heads. Well, Kepka couldn't have been more categoric. No, he couldn't. Have He's either an outstanding liar or he's telling the truth. And the truth is that nothing happened. But um, so anyway, we'll let that one sort of you know <laughs> ruminate and see you know when they get together next time whether the relationship looks as friendly as it and buddy and pally as it's always looked. Well, one I'm not going to let through to the keeper, Andy. I'm sorry. So the other one that's... Go- no, you can't. Oh, because- I refuse to let this go through to the keeper. Well, go on. The floor is yours, my friend. Phil Mickelson, um, already in my sort of bad books for the circus that's going to appear at the same week as the World Cup this this time around. 
apparently bigger than the Ryder Cup now, Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's having this midlife crisis, as you beautifully put it last week. <laughs> um, hair everywhere, doing you know Karate Kid style activities and all sorts of crazy videos. Has come up. He's taken it to a new level, and I mean low level here. He's. This is. I've got to read something to you if I can get it sorted out here. <laughs> this is. This is Phil Mickelson talking about the Ryder Cup. The fairways were 14 to 16 yards wide. Ben Hogan, who's the greatest ball striker of all time, had a 5% margin of error. So if you hit the ball 300 yards, which we all hit it more than that, you need to have a 30-yard wide fairway to be able to hit it. The fact is they had brutal rough, almost unplayable, and it's not the way I play. I don't play like that. Here, as in the U.S., I can miss the fairways. I can get shots out of the rough, up on the green, and I'm playable. I'm 48. I'm not going to play tournaments. Sorry about the tone of my voice. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm not going to play tournaments with rough like that anymore. It's a waste of my time. I'm going to play courses that are playable and that I can play aggressive, attacking, make a lot of birdie style of golf that I like to play. You're a wanker, Phil. You're a complete <laughs> wanker i'm sorry for the language but that's inexcusable i, I don't even know what to say no that's no. It's so he's so far removed from reality and it, it sums up a lot of our outside thoughts about american golfers you can't in his eyes lower himself he can't lower himself to play Ryder cup on a setup that doesn't advantage american golfers on european soil hmm. give me a break hmm. give no, me I- a break no, it was, it was embarrassing that he would even go public with those comments. But he's doing a whole lot of stuff at the moment. It's just plain out embarrassing full stop. So, What's more embarrassing than that, though? Like, it's, I am bigger than golf. I'll play when it you know it suits me and up yours, Ryder Cup, and mm. up yours, United States and Europe. I... So is he playing a US Open again? <laughs> like, will he ever play another US Open who routinely grow the fairways in and let the rough get out of control and want players to... Shoot par to win. I mean, will he ever play on a on on a in inverted commas from a regular from a from a recent perspective a routine U.S. Open course? Is he going to play any of those anymore? Well, I think the problem was so. How many characters do you get on a tweet? Is it 180 or something like that? Yeah, roughly. Roughly. If he'd used 100, he would have been fine. Like he would have been able to get away with that comment if he said these golf courses I've realised don't match my game. Yeah. Ergo, I'm going to choose courses for the rest of my career that actually match my game. Mm. It's something that I think that players should do more of is choose their schedule courses based on where they can actually play well. And obviously with sponsor commitments and, and time commitments as well, sometimes that goes out the window and you play courses and you walk up and you're like, you, you just hope you play well and have a good week because you know that it doesn't necessarily suit you. But the fact that he kind of dragged the Ryder Cup into it, that that's what really gets me going is the fact that... It, He's just lost all perspective in terms of how to actually relay that message. Presumably, he wants to play Ryder Cups again, but how, how do you get away with being so blatant about everything? I, I don't understand that. So if, even if they were to take the Ryder Cup to a classic American course and not the you know the Shinnecock or um, Whistling Straits type courses that um, Chambers Bay type courses that the US Open's been on the last three of the last four years. So they go to an Oakmont, for example. If they have the rough up, he, he now can't play. By If he's fair income, he can't mm. play. Mm. Imagine that. Imagine he could be the sixth best American in the world in whenever, yep. still. Yep. 
And he says, no, I, sorry, I can't play out of that rough anymore. Mm. It doesn't suit my game. See you, see you American well, golf fans. Well, he must have known that before he got over there. I mean, if he didn't go over there and you know scout the conditions and see what was going to be dished up and take into account whether he was a fit whether he was fit to be a member of this U.S. Ryder Cup team, then he should have declined the invitation Correct. to be part of the team and give it to one of the younger players who was in a better position to adapt to the conditions and more willing to adapt to the conditions than he clearly was. I mean, he was so zoned out early. I mean, he was <laughs> some of the shots he played were, were abysmal. He was, he was clearly not in a good headspace to take on the challenge that was presented. And he played awful golf, and he got what he probably deserved. And um, so, he, so don't turn up next time. Don't, don't, don't turn up. He would argue my wording coming up if he was sitting here, I'm sure, probably would have argued when and called him a wanker as well. But anyway, <laughs> um, he, solicited, he solicited the place to play. Like, he was a selection. Mm. He, oh, okay. He, you know, yeah. he, he wanted to play. He yeah. said to Jim Furyk, I want to play. Mm. So, you know, it goes further to say, to add to our point last week, Andy, on the podcast when we said uh, the only person to go over and, and do some scouting at um, the golf course in Paris, the National, was the only player who looked good yep. the entire week, Justin yep. Thomas. Yep. So, you know, I got no, t- I got no time for this soap opera. We probably should stop talking about it, to be honest. We'll move on. Uh, but it's just a dis... Just one thing. I mean, no one that has driving accuracy at around 40%, which he does. I've just looked it up. 41.7%. He's going to be in trouble before he even gets off. Like, that's the thing. Naturally, with his short game, he's renowned for his short game, it should actually set up well for him because a lot of people are digging it out to the rough and he's going to make up and down more times more than the majority of players in, in the field if his short game is as good as we all think it is. But he can't keep it in play. And that's the issue. So, you and, know, and, put a new driver in the bag and he might be changing his tune. But therefore, unusable as a as a foursomes partner. Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. Totally unusable. <laughs> no, no, no. In two years' time, if he's not automatic, um, but he's still playing okay, uh, and the conditions look like they're not necessarily... Where is the next Ryder Cup? Whistling straight. Whistling straight. So... Um, well, it'll probably be more conducive to. Well, it should be. Yeah, that that by play, so. definition should be quite rough. Mm. You know, well, it, yeah, yeah. It should be a lot of rough there because there's no trees. Uh, you know, on the on the shores of the the Great Lakes there, and and you know that's the course where Jason Day won his PGA Championship, and you know it it should have rough because that's its realistically its defence because it's hard. It'll be it'll be rock hard. Um, but if they want Phil to play now, it won't be. Oh, it's just. He's put himself so far above everything, every other aspect of the Ryder Cup. It's embarrassing. I don't even know what else to say. They've just proven themselves to be bad. They're, I mean, again, the team, not not all of them, because you know most of the team haven't done it. But you just get a sense that you know you've got Reed, you've got Mickelson, you've got the prospect of a fight between two of the other players, you know Kepka and um, and Johnson, and you've got this image of this completely dysfunctional, not com- not totally, but this within the team these dysfunctional individuals who haven't been able to cope with a humiliating defeat the way that they had it handed to them. and um, I feel sorry for Jim Fury. Well, so do I. And, and, some and, people the other, are... and the good guys in the American team Absolutely. who handle themselves with nothing but dignity. You know, so. And now Jim Furyk's, you know, haven't got a major sort of knockers mm. come out. It's just so stupid. Just, you know, you got you had your butt handed to you. Just 
put your hand up, say, well played, Henrik, well yeah. played, Alex. Yep. See you later. Yep, next time. Um, staying in America, uh, Aaron Baddeley. Uh, so we start again. We roll around. Safeway Open. Um, the start. I guess it's the start of the next kind of US PJ season. Um, good performance by Dads. Outstanding Great performance. performance. Um, and he, 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 it seems like yesterday when he won, I think it's the Barracuda. That was 2016, so his exemption's gone. So he actually Monday qualified. I don't know if people even know that. I didn't even know that. Yeah, no. but he Monday qualified into Napa Valley. And uh, honestly, he could have, would have, should have. I mean, he's missed three 10-footers in the last seven or eight holes, mm. which he'd make one of them on average probably. Uh, didn't quite get the job done and missed the playoff by a shot. And you, you never know. And once you have that, you know, that one W, then obviously set yourself up for two. And in this case, 2.98 years probably because it's the first one of the season. Uh, but he's, you know, he's got a find his way now. He'll get a, he'll get a start. Um, but then again, he may not... I'm not 100% sure of how this is going to work, to be honest, because it's a limited field event, um, the next couple in Asia. Mm-hmm. And he's not playing again, on my understanding, until that Sanderson Farm thing in Mississippi in two or three weeks' time. So hopefully he'll get an automatic start based on his top 10 finish. Um, and I'm sure he'll try and parlay that into some re-rank. But um, yeah, great start and I, I was just texting him actually before we came on air and hopefully he's going to break his inside the ropes duck in a couple of weeks oh so. well, that'll be fantastic yeah. to hear from him um there's a bit of a similarity about the woulda coulda shoulda um between he and another veteran who's sort of in that twilight um zone marcus fraser if you go from america over to europe and the dunhill links championship this was hard to watch i don't know how much of it you guys were watching but with about Nine holes to play. Fraze has got his card pretty close to not being locked away, but he's back inside the number he's going to need to. He needed to finish top five, and he's comfortably he's second. He's sitting outright second at 14 under the card with Tyrrell Hatton four clear, and it looks like he's going to win, and they're playing with Steve Gallagher in that three ball. Well, the three ball, the wheels came off. They all went backwards. Fraze ends up shooting five over, Gallagher three over, and Hatton coughs up a four-shot lead. And the bottom line is from Marcus's perspective is that he finishes tied 10th and slips outside the one one six, which I think is the number he would have needed to get inside and finds himself in that position now where what could have been, and that was a job for next year, I don't know where he sits now in terms of, um, you know, holding his... Or, rediscovering his ticket on the PGA Tour. So it was hard to watch because he did the same thing. He did exactly the same thing, but in slightly different circumstances than Baddeley. It was his putter that let him down. He was his long putting under the pump late. He was leading himself a whole bunch of sort of six to ten footers, and he missed about four of them mm. um, in the last seven or eight holes. And, you know, he makes two of them. And he's, he's okay. Business. Yeah, yeah he's so down. To, he's, I mean, he came up obviously, but he's 150th. Yeah, in the right. in the ranking. So, I'm not sure if he's got to start this week in the British Masters, but he's going to have to come up with something pretty special because he won't be in the subsequent events. No. So, um, time's ticking there. We'll we'll endeavour to get him on too. He's obviously very accessible, especially Absolutely. to you. So, um, yeah, some 
the kids again, Andy. Well, that's right. The on, other on end both, of the scar, on both yeah. sides of the Atlantic yeah. here. Yeah. Um, which one do you want to go, Europe no. or the US? Well, let's, well, let's, we've told the tales of woe yeah. in inverted commas. I mean, they both got good paychecks out of this battle in Fraser. They made some money, but not enough in either cases. So let's well, go back to America and talk about the kids to begin with. Well, it was the first US tour starters, full members for Cameron Davis and also for Curtis Luck. And unbelievably, Curtis Luck fired a pair of 71s and missed the cut, mm-hmm. which uh, sort of shows you about that course a little bit. But um, Cam Davis, on the other hand, first up, she closes with a 68, finishes tied 17th at eight under the card. Um, I don't know, tied 17th, what, what would that get you at the Australian Open, Ellie? Best bet, like probably, you know. Ten thousand dollars, maybe <laughs> five, eight. Uh, I eight. think it'd be what is it? best. It's just ballpark. Yeah, what the, what's the purse? Is it one point? One point three ish. Yeah, yeah. I'd say maybe fifteen. Yeah, fifteen. Yeah. Well, the poor bugger's just banked. Where is he? Eighty thousand nine hundred and sixty <laughs> US dollars. So, welcome to the big leagues, Cam. And you know that's that's an exceptional start. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, if he and he's already committed, he's publicly committed to come back and play the Australian Open and the PGA. We'll con- confirm that in the next couple of days, um, more formally. But you know, he's he's foregone the I guess the opportunity to kick a couple of goals late or early. Oh, how do we say this? Yeah, late no, in the full series. Yeah, yes, it's really complicated these wraparound seasons, but. He's uh, he might have already been a good enough position to to have that luxury anyhow. So that that's great. And another one, Brett Druitt, who finished just a further shot back. Um, we followed his travails in the Web. dot com finals, and he banked forty six thousand eight hundred US two for his um his first top twenty five finish in twenty career starts on the tour. Right. So that's great. He's been showing good flashes of form without being able to get it home. So good on you, Brett Druitt. Fantastic. And John Sennon was the um, missed the third round cut because there was heaps of people at the bottom end of the field, but still banked a little check. Probably not enough to wrap up his card yet from his exemption. So let's go back over the Atlantic to hashtag continue the hashtag golden era <laughs> conversation, which you and I are enjoying. There's a bit of momentum suddenly back inside um, this hashtag. Yes. Um, the ascent of Lucas Herbert. This this is Matt Hillier, who you know, well well known around golf circles in Australia, and uh, regular listener to the show, and very active in terms of golf conversations around the place. Put out a fantastic tweet with the hashtag too. With the hashtag, if you don't mind. Outstanding, Matt. Um, but what is what Herbert's doing, which was alerted to us which Matt Hillier alerted us to, I should say. Well, this is staggering. Let's put it on the table. He's finished seventh. He went past Marcus Fraser mm. at St. Andrews in the final round uh, in ridiculous wins. Um, Lucas has averaged 2.48 official world golf ranking points in his past 23 tournaments. If he keeps that average up in his next 17, he will be in the top 50 in the world. It's great, isn't it, Elt, to see this kid who... Um, you know, doesn't swing it, you know, traditionally beautifully and has got very much his own game. And, you know, to his credit, he's very much his own young man. He's, he's, he's doing it his way. And it's, it's been bloody exciting to watch the last six months. He's, he's such a good lad as well. Like mm, he's, yeah. he and I talk probably nearly once a week, if not more. We that would touch be, that would be good for him. I'm glad to hear. I'm, I, <laughs> I don't know no, how good I think, <laughs> No, that would be good for him because you're, compared to us, you're quite a level-headed individual. So <laughs> I'm happy to hear you say that. Yeah, well, it was funny because I was in Spain when he was playing, um, oh gosh, Portugal? where was it? Yeah, Portugal. Yeah. 
and um, and he shot me a text message, and he all, he'll always shoot me a message saying, "Hey, what are you doing next week? I've got a week off. Can we, like, can we go hang somewhere? Like, he just wants to get out and about. Like, he'd call up just about anyone that he knew that was in Europe, and he's like, "Yeah, I've rented a villa in um, in Lagos. It's going to be fun. Like, if you want to come over, come hang with all of us and stuff like that." And he, he's just hilarious. I find mm. that very entertaining, but um. He's so level-headed about it. He doesn't sound level-headed when you talk to him because he backs himself. And we have that whole tall poppy syndrome in Australia where if you actually go, yeah, I played great today, people think that you're a bit of a toss-up. But I just think that he treads that line really well. And um, I'm super, super stoked for him. He's just outside the top 100 now. 104. 104. Gee whiz. He's doing well. Look, I was having a chat with his coach the other night. I don't want to say too much because it's obviously, you know, personal chat but mm-hmm. Dominic has a party who's just done an absolutely magnificent job with Lucas in the last three years uh, he was his childhood coach went away and came back um, and Dom was saying and this is pretty big I mean I it's, but you got to think big and that's what he's done all year I mean we first we've had him in here a couple of times mm. and he first said I want to play President's Cup in 2019 and you sort of go okay but it's actually realistic you know mm. it is very very realistic now his immediate goal, he's going to play the British Masters this week. And then he's got uh, a few weeks off before the three big season finale events, um, all the Rolex series things on the European Tour, including now he's locked himself into the Race to Dubai finals, which is awesome. just extraordinary. Really um, at number 50, he can't be budged out of the top 60 now. Um, he thinks maybe his goal is to get into the top 60 in the world by <laughs> December 31, which would give him a sneaky backdoor card in the U.S., Who's to say it's not going to happen? Well, mate, the sky is absolutely the limit for him because he's full of confidence and he's got a game that adapts well. Like he's played well in different, you know, different wins. Mm. Different. The only time he struggled is with a ballada down at Commonwealth with Clates. (laughs) So uh, sorry, Herbie, I had to get get that cheap shot in. But you know, he's he's realistically been on fire since the New South Wales Open of last year Mm. and. Just subsequent right around, and without a without a win, it's got it's unbelievable. Without a win, he's got himself to the verge of the top hundred in the world. That's how good he's been. That's true. Of course, that's true. Yeah, got to be how consistent to be able to do that without a win. It's it's an extraordinary achievement and full of praise, Herbie. I'm we're wrapped for you, mate, and hopefully uh, we see you get that W soon. Because when that happens, then. Yeah, you know, look out. Uh, Ali, he's crossed that threshold that you would know more about than people like Hazy and I, but he clearly isn't intimidated now. He's played, you know, he's played with Tiger in practice rounds. You know, he went head-to-head with Jason Day at the Australian Open last year. He, he's got to a point now in his career where he doesn't, he's comfortable in whatever circumstance against whoever. And that, I would imagine, if you want to compete and set yourself lofty, goals, then that is a hurdle you need to get over as soon as you possibly can. Well, remember we had him, we were talking to him when he was in Melbourne and he said, we said, if there's a spot open next to Tiger on the range and mm. there's another one further down, which one do you take? And he goes, oh, the spot next to Tiger. He went one better and play, ended up playing a practice mm. round with him, which is just kind of classic to, you know, his mind frame, I think this year. I think he's getting more and more comfortable. I think 
he performed really well at the at the Australian Open last year, but that was kind of the big infra, introduction for him. Like I was walking with his group commentating that mm. week and we talked quite a bit on the course. Like I think when he wanted to get away from golf, he'd come over and kind of make fun of how many notes I had in my yardage book and stuff like that. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, and we'd have a little bit of side banter, but it was almost a little bit of an escape. And I just don't think he needs that anymore. I think that he's so into it and we saw that in the final round when he went essentially head to head with Tom Lewis in Portugal um, that he's doing all the right things yeah. and he putted unbelievably that week like he didn't even strike the ball that well he didn't do anything wrong but he'd been so many parts from outside 15 feet and I think that just takes the pressure off everything in your game when you're seeing them go in and yeah. he's going from strength to strength it's great yeah, yeah. that's awesome um, what do we take away from the Asian amateur hazy uh, can I just touch base one more thing before oh, we move away from there? Jason, I reckon Jason Scrivener, who who came up and finished twenty fourth um, at St Andrews, has locked himself in. His card's home and hose now, ninety seventh, and you know he's 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 in good nick right now. I wouldn't be surprised to see him do something this Australian summer. Um, can't wait to see it either, for that matter. Um, we talked about him on this show before, Ali. He and I'm sure you were on the show when we were talking about him. He just looks like a player who's got he, – he looks like a player who needs to get to that place that Herbert's found himself, where he believes in himself. Because you watch Scrivener play, and he looks he looks like he's got, you know, from a – just from a – he looks like he's got just about all bases covered mm-hmm. in terms of the actual game, um, just whether he can step it up, you know, when he needs to. That's, that's the ne- next big thing for him. I always think I, I look at where the guys are. There's there's guys that play good golf consistently and they don't make much of it in interviews. But when you look at kind of the interviews between someone like Scriv and, and Lucas Herbert and you do a comparison between the two, I, I find that Lucas is so much more candid and and not afraid to kind of point out his, his faults, which is something that a lot of golfers aren't mm. particularly good at. <laughs> um, and... Like I, I find Jason just he's he's quite conservative, and he kind of goes about his own business. He, there's just not a lot of drama to him, you know. Either way, which is a fantastic thing to have in golf because there's you know there's mm. plenty of drama within your workplace anyway, <laughs> depending on how you're playing at that given point in time. But I don't know. I mean, Richie Smith, who's watching him grown up, um, thought that good things were coming from him at the start of the year. Yeah, and I think maybe that might just come into fruition about ten months late. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. awesome. And two more, I'm going to whack in the hashtag go, golden era, Andy. Go, go, go. Uh, maybe, maybe one of them's verging on the upper end of the age <laughs> scale. But Dean Lawson had yes. his first full crack at a European Tour event and finished 28th. So, yeah, that's pretty boy awesome. from uh, yeah. my my club, Kerr Lewis, just couldn't be happier for him. He's been um, playing in different tours around Asia. That's a fantastic result for him there. And Jake McLeod, uh, despite carrying a man bun, the man bun McLeod. <laughs> Managed to finish 48th. And they've both banked really nice checks for what they need to be doing. And I think they'll prove to themselves, especially playing at St. Andrews on the old course in high winds, that they've got a game that isn't too far away. They weren't right there with the the leaders, but they were, you know, high enough up to think, you know what, I I belong here. There was a major controversy that took place there just before we get away from it. I've neglected to mention this before. I'm glad you reminded me of hair. Um, Robert Rock. <laughs> oh. oh, Robert Rock wore a hat. Oh, 
God, now, why? That's now. the end of an era. Why would you do that? That's the know. end of an era. I don't know what's going on with that. That should, There should be the, the R&A and the USGA <laughs> need to put an addendum to the new rule book that's come out. Now, we should say that everybody should be wearing a hat on the golf course, Not right? Robert Rock. But not Robert not Rock. Robert like, Rock. The Rock Claws. His, his hair, it's like... You know the removable kind of Ken hair? It's, God, it's where true. you used to be able to like, you know, in the little Lego statues, oh, how you used to be exactly able to pull their hair about. off. Oh, yeah. It's like that. It's a thing of beauty. It really I think is. If, if it had a Twitter page or an Instagram it page, does. people... Oh, it does. There yeah, we go. Robert I was going to say, hair. yeah, people would follow yeah. it. So obviously no, yeah, they do. No, yeah, well, obviously you follow it. More people should follow it. I've only got about 20 <laughs> followers at the moment, but more people should follow it. Here's Lucas Herbert. Highlight of the on Twitter. Highlight of the week. Playing St. Andrews Old Course three times. Low light of the week. Seeing Robert Rock in a hat. There you go. Again, Herbert nails it. Um, um, so just wrapping up, before we get to yes. the amateur side of things, Andy, let me run around the other Australian uh, Please do. pros. Uh, well, not all of them, but a few here. On the um, PGA Tour of China, Max McArdle's finished tied 16th. Um, the event's going to escape me as I flip around my... It's, it was the uh, Zhuhai Championship in Zhuhai, China. Outstanding research. I'm sure Ellen. you nailed that too. Yeah, I'm very. There's big. lots of X's in that, wasn't there? I can't say too much more. <laughs> Max McArdle um, from Adelaide, ripping fella, um, tied for 16th, best placed Australian, is his sixth consecutive cut, and he's uh, up onto up into 15 in the order of merit with cool. one week to go in China. So he's progressing well, and another who's starting to feel like he belongs, and he's not that far from it, to be honest. And a good result for um, someone we haven't really spoken about before in the pro ranks, but. Uh, DJ Loiper, who earned his best finish of the season in 13 starts, tied 42nd. A heap of other nice little finishes. But, yeah, big shout to Max McArdle. <laughs> um, I'd like to see him take one big step in the last tournament. Uh, and, of course, our man who will be on the show next week. I've confirmed this already, and it's great. Harrison Endicott uh, will be addressing us from Lima, Peru, I believe, Andy. Lovely. Just <laughs> to add to it. We should get a, a map of we've, where, where, where we've, we've gone. Where we've show. spoken yeah, to. Yeah, good point. So, Harrow... Um, Bagged another top five finish. He's third in a row, which is a great result on the um, Latino America Tour, the San Luis Championship. I've got that one right, Ali. Uh, he's moved. He's moved up to number fifteen again in the order of merit. Um, he's uh, what? What? Cut, this is here's the stat for you, Andy. He's carded twenty-eight of his thirty-four stroke play rounds this year, even par or better. So yeah, that's, that's good going. Isn't good it? going on courses he hadn't seen before, and I'm really hopeful that. Um, I think he is too, to be honest, that he's on the verge of something that'll get him into the top five and avoid everything and just give him a web start for next year. Um, he's already skipping a stage by being in the top 15 there of Q School, but if he can just do something just a little bit better in the next couple of weeks, look out. Um, so it was China last year uh, who dominated the Asian Air. It was Japan this yeah. year, finishing one and three. Um what do we take away from it? There'll be a couple of boys pretty disappointed, I reckon, if truth be told, with their, uh, I think with their final rounds. Six boys yeah. will be disappointed yeah. from an Australian perspective. I, I mean, they'll have varying degrees of that, but uh, none of them were on the front page of the leaderboard on mm. Sunday, and I guarantee you they all thought they could be. And to be fair, I thought a few of them could too. So a mm. um, couple of flashes of brilliance. Dave Michaluzzi to start on the on the first day, Thursday at Sentosa was exceptional. Shot a course record until it got obliterated in round three. Um, but the others didn't really put it together consistently. Blake Windred showed a lot of signs on the last day. He had a heap of birdies, but a couple of, two or three double bogeys, and that kills you. So um, Minwoo Lee went backwards a little bit on the last day. Um, yeah. Zach Murray didn't really get it going. Uh, Dylan Perry was up and down, and... 
I'm missing oh, Shea Wolf's Cobb. Now, this was an unfortunate one because he actually spent Friday night in the Singapore General Hospital um, with sunstroke. Right. Uh, and I believe that he's 100% recovered and perfectly fine and everything's okay. So we thank the staff there for their assistance with one of our boys. Um, but, yeah, not a not a great way for Shea to go out of his amateur career. I'm pretty sure that him, Minwoo, Dylan Perry um, will all turn professional at the earliest convenience. So Catherine Kirk's about to join us. Al, can you explain to me, um, and we congratulate Korea, who had to do it tough, really. They had to work their way through the tournament. It wasn't plain sailing for them the whole way through for the Korean ladies, but they eventually prevail over the Americans, and they, they win it, as they should, given the depth and quality. But can you explain to me why Australia didn't get through to the playoff stage of the UL International Crown. <laughs> You're on the clock from exactly. now. Well, I should I should mention it's kind of a it's the brainchild of the LPGA and and Mike Wan, the LPGA commissioner, who wanted to create a teams competition that actually accurately reflected the the global nature of golf these days. And you know, you look at Presidents Cup. We don't really have a Presidents Cup, so we have Solheim Cup, and we don't really have anything else that kind of mm. matches that kind of level in the women's game. So he wanted to create something. And as ever, when you create a new format or a new way of playing team competitions, there's tweaks that need to be made. And the first two editions, uh, there it was won by Spain the first year and USA the second year. And both have been held in America. This year was the first time that they've held it out of the USA. They held it in Korea, just outside of Seoul. And... It was off the charts, eh? I'll come back to that later. But the format essentially is eight teams get selected by their cumulative world rankings amongst their top four players. So whoever's got got the best top four in the world, those are the countries that qualify. And then they go into three days of four ball. You get two points for a win, one point for a half. I'm going to really walk you through this one, (laughs) as you can tell. Uh, And then uh, it goes into a wild card playoff in theory on the Saturday evening, which would have been Saturday evening if we didn't have Typhoon Kong Ray come through. And, you know, obviously our thoughts go out to everyone that was affected. We luckily weren't that affected where we were um, in Songdo. But I know a couple of areas really kind of copped the the meat of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, so there's two pools. Everyone's divided up into two pools. The top two teams from each pool go through automatically. Then... In theory, whoever's in a tied for third from each pool goes into a wild card playoff, which is essentially just a shootout with two balls per team. The worst ball counts if the first ball's tied. You with me? Oh, I, it's, yeah, I hate that game, but yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm with you. I'm still with you. Yeah. So the kicker for the Australian side is that they actually finished in a tie for second. Now we had a meeting earlier in the week talking about potential. Um, circumstances and that kind of thing. We raised a few questions, and because the tournament's still in its infancy, most of the questions were answered. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> so not all. Not uh, not all of them no, were answered, right but right. because you think you've got everything covered, and then it's live TV and live sport where something just happens that you never even saw coming. Um, but essentially, Australia tied with uh, tied with England on seven points in second place in their pool. And because it went to a countback system to try and work out who went into the wild card, we actually got shunted out of the top two because when England and Australia went head-to-head, England came out victorious. So that's the countback okay, system. Right. So it goes to the head-to-heads. 
And so Aussies went into a playoff with uh, with Thailand and Japan. I think I should let Kat Kirk do the rest of the talking, though. Cool. So Catherine Kirk does join us on the show after you know what was you know by and large a fantastic tournament, one that was, as we've already discussed, a little confusing. Uh, Catherine, thanks for joining us on the show. My pleasure. So go on, El, pick it up. You ask from from where you left off prior to Catherine joining us. Take it away. Well, we've already we've covered the format right up until that that fantastic playoff that ended up having Australia in it, which no one was happy about. Am I right, Kat? Yeah, I mean, we kind of knew uh, the format going in and that we would likely be in the um, in the playoff, but yeah, it didn't really hit us how crappy it really was until we lost. Um, and then we all start thinking, well, you know, what, we're going to have to tweak this format going forward because we were T3 in most points, so. Um, yeah, it all happened so quickly, though, really. I mean, we finished our matches, obviously, um, in the morning, and then we only had a five or ten minutes turnaround to get back out there for the playoffs, and we had to decide who was in it. And it was a bit chaotic, really. So one of the things that's unique to the UL Crown is that there is no captain. There's no one telling you what to do. How did you guys, A, make the decision of who was going to go into that, uh, into the you know, tie, tie for third playoff, but also, I guess, your decisions throughout the week because it was kind of like the kids were ruling the roost. Yeah, um, I mean, Minji and Sue had played two L crowns before and um, I played in the first one, so we, we were a little bit familiar with it, but um, all of us get along, so we were... It was probably pretty an easy decision for us um, to decide who, who we were going to play with and we just decided at the start, hey, if it's working well then we'll keep it and unless we really need to tweak anything then let's just kind of keep it rolling so um i guess when it came down to the playoff uh sarah jane was really adamant about playing and i mean that's a no-brainer she was what number six in the world or something going into the week um and she's always been a good ball striker so none of us had an issue with that and i played with sue obviously the first three four ball matches and she was hitting it pretty well, and she actually made birdie when we played it that morning. So I was like, well, that's, that's an easy decision. She's got a good visual on that hole, and um, she already knows what clock she wants to hit. So let's put her in. And um, it, was, it was quite an easy decision, really. So we should we should kind of fill in what actually happened during the playoff. Because one of the shots of the week, mm. arguably one of the shots even of the year, perhaps, yeah. was what ruled you guys out of it. As you were out there watching, can you, can you fill everyone in on the drama? Yeah, so uh, Japan teed off first in the playoff and uh, the first player hit it in the water, actually. It's a regional pass four, so a lot of girls were hitting three woods or maybe a driver. And um, I think Minji and Sue teed off second and both of them hit it. Um, when Minji hit it just left of the green, Sue just hit it just short. And then the Thai girls teed off and Moria hit it on the green and then Aria hit her like driving iron just kind of short left of it. So um, we kind of knew at that point it was going to be between us and Thailand. And um, Minji was the first to, to tip after the Japanese girl. And she almost told her. She had a great shot. And then Aria was next to play. And she just played this little bump and run. It almost looked like she kind of laid the shot over it. But um, it was tracking the whole line. I just happened to have a perfect line right behind her. And it looked good from 10 feet out. So kind of a dagger to the heart, but it was a great shot. And obviously, yeah, well played. 
Yeah, I guess anytime you chip in for Eagle when you're up against six, okay. six of the world's best players, <laughs> it's all right. Yeah, um, I guess yeah, the, the world rankings of those girls is pretty impressive. And um, obviously, the areas had some great success, so um, you can't have that without a good short game. And yeah, full credit to her. She, she put the pressure on Sue, who, who chipped next and almost made it. But um, yeah, just that Eagle's pretty hard to beat in a playoff, that's for sure. Which relegated us to seventh, Catherine, and I can't believe that. But anyway, let's <laughs> let's, just let's just go that we were seventh and just suck it up. But I, I, it's a disgraceful format. Have you got any thoughts <laughs> on what it might actually look like next time around? Uh, I would imagine you'll see actually a playoff for uh, if there's a tie for one or two, then yeah, rather than a tiebreaker, because it's kind of like a card off, really. Hmm. Um, and then maybe even another playoff for the only one wild card spot for each side. So um, they're talking about it already. I think they were kind of talking about it on Sunday when it all happened. But, um, and it's only a relatively new event, and we've tweaked it every year. So um, it's like a FedEx Cup, really. I mean, the, the blokes tweaked theirs again this year. So it's going to evolve, and I just I think continue to get better and better. Oh, it's already better than the FedEx Cup. Don't worry about oh, that. Oh, it's way better than that. <laughs> it's a million times better than that nonsense. <laughs> Um, so you guys, you guys did really well. Um, you know, you, the best performance of the three times Australia's played in the International Crown, the three times it's been held, um, and that came to pass instantly when you guys, when you and Sue beat Korea. Uh, I'd love to know your thoughts on that, but specifically, I want to say it was the fifteenth, and you rolled in about a ten footer for a birdie, maybe. And I think it was obscured. The hole was obscured on yeah. the TV camera. Yes, it was. And so we couldn't see the ball drop in the hole from our perspective, obviously not yours. We couldn't <laughs> see the ball drop in the hole. And there was dead silence. Like, you know... Even the, bird, um, even the birds stopped chirping. Complete silence. And we didn't have a clue what was going on. And the commentators couldn't obviously tell either from looking down the, uh, the lens. But... Um, that must have been a magical moment for you to sort of stem the Korean charge and feel like we were definitely going to get a first point against against a really powerhouse nation. It was. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we knew that that was going to be our, our hardest match. Um, and we got off to a really good start, which was nice. That kind of, I think, took a little bit of the pressure off. And Sue and I, to be honest, we, we kind of struggled in the first match against England. But we... Why did we ham and egg it well in the, that match against Korea? When when Sue was out of the hole, I was in it and vice versa. So um, it was you know, nice to kind of make that putt on 15. Both of them had makeable birdies, and I was surprised that one of them didn't make it. Um, so I, I kind of looked at it, okay, here we go. This, this will give us the best cushion we've had all day. with three up, three to play. Let's roll it in. And I had a good line on it and knocked it straight in. And it, it was eerie, actually, that... <laughs> with the crowd there not, not doing anything but I didn't want to get overly uh, celebratory there and, and do too many fist pumps so I, I, I kind of kept the uh, emotions under wraps until we got done. Incredibly, when when we were watching on air, because we should point out the fact that uh, Catherine and Sue went up against the number one and the number ten in the world, who Phenomenal. both happened to be Korean. Like, yeah. and and it's the fans over there are kind of next level fans. Like, if you drive away from them in a cart, they chase after you. There is there is a mania, I think, that we saw in particular on Sunday that was that was really second to none. But no team had ever. I remember when we were two. I think you were two up through three holes, Cat. And no team had ever come back in four balls to win from more than a two-down margin. 
And I was just sitting on air going, please don't let it be Australia that breaks <laughs> that record. Like, keep going, keep going. <laughs> oh. yeah, I think one of the other pivotal points in the match was on number seven. Um, a boat had uh, short birdie putts and Sue and I had probably at least 25 feet each. And Sue putted first. She was a little outside me and hers came up short. And I'm looking at their two markers, like within within five feet, going, "Holy crap, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna make this cat. Just make sure you get it there." <laughs> um, unfortunately, it snuck in the very front. And, um, but yeah, that that was nice because it that kept us two up. And um, they, I don't know if they quite had their best stuff, but uh, certainly when you're up against two of the best players in the world, you, you can't uh, take it easy on them and and kind of ever let up you have to keep the pedal down and, and we were able to do that fortunately on the back nine and yeah seal the deal so Catherine, when you do that and you know you stitch up a legitimately world-class team it doesn't get much better than that and you're obviously coming off the back of another really good result at evian as well recently does it feel like i think you said this to us last time you joined us you know you, you feel like your best is still to come um does it give you that extra shot of confidence that you know, I'm, I've still got this. I'm, I'm, I'm thereabouts, and, I'm, and I only need something to go my way one week, and I'll be, you know, back near the top of the world. Yeah, golf's a really interesting sport. I mean, uh, you look at Tiger, even uh, what he's been through, and um, going back to win. I think he's what 42 now, and um, it all comes down to confidence. And there are weeks where you know you've, you're pretty darn close to where everything clicks and, and you know you're going to maybe be in contention. And there are other weeks where you couldn't hit the broad side of the barn if you tried. So um, <laughs> you kind of try to get through those weeks, the bad weeks as fast as you can and then figure something out. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, just, I think a lot of golfers play their best golf in their 30s because they're a lot more mature on the golf course. They handle the bad stuff a little bit better and um, – they know that that experience is going to pay off when they're when they're coming down the stretch. So it's just a matter of yeah, staying really patient and uh, yeah, just trying to get on that on that confidence high and and ride it as long as you can. And are your numbers, Catherine? Are they telling you that you know you're still hitting the ball as well as ever? And you know that this kind of distance game that you know we're confronting in golf at the moment, you're hitting it you know further than you ever have before. Or is all all the data that you're getting back from you know, the things that um, uh, collect all this information. Are they telling you that you're hitting the ball, you know, as well as ever? I think so. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm trying to increase my driver head speed, and which will stem through the bag. But um, there is average, probably, club head speed with driver on the LPGA is about 95-ish. Um, and I'm I'm right there. I mean, I can swing at 100, but I just can't maintain it. So, my, both my coaches are trying to get me to, you know, do some some more speed drills to get up there and, and be a bit, a bit more consistent. Because the length does make a difference these days. Um, you know, obviously, we have quite a few girls out there that can hit it, kind of two two fifty two sixty yards in the air. And when you're playing tournament class courses, they can roll it out to 300. So it does make a difference when you're when you're hitting greens with eight irons and nine irons as opposed to seven seven irons and six irons. And um, I think, yeah, that's why you see a lot of girls with that the length probably get into contention more out here. And you're staying in Asia for a little while. You're, you're, you're still in Korea this week to play the next event. Is that right? 
Yeah, we have, what, five events over here. So I'm just going to play these these next room, one in Korea, one in Shanghai, and one in Taiwan. And then actually do a little family holiday, in New, golf holiday in New Zealand of all places. So um, just just what the doctor ordered is more golf after a four-week stretch. <laughs> oh, not of all places. Where are you going to play down there? Have you, have you picked the courses you're going to have a hit at? Yeah, we, my husband and I actually joined Tara Edy uh, at the start of the year, and um, yeah, he did it for more business reasons than, than anything, but it is a pretty sweet spot. So my folks are going to fly over, and they're going to spend a few days with us, and um, we might even sneak in a, a fishing trip too because the fishing's not be really good there. Oh, that's, that sounds okay. If yeah. you, uh, you're very good, uh, very good fisher person. I don't even know what the word fisher is. Fisher person. <laughs> fisher woman. Fisher What's woman. What's the terminology? You're a very good fisher. 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 She's good at fishing? Oh, you think? Oh, yeah, I'd be called it. I don't mind fishermen. Yeah. I mean, it's all good. <laughs> Ellie's, Ellie's packed up in the corner here from my political correctness. <laughs> so. Hey, Catherine, it was awesome watching. You know, we, we still, for people who are challenged, um, you know, by the simplest things, Hazy and I are still scratching our heads at how it all played out the way it did. Uh, for you and the other three um, girls on the team, but uh, you clearly played, you know, you know, good golf, and the numbers tell us that you did. And you knocked over you and your match with Sue, knocked over, you know, one of the most powerful teams going around. So look, enjoy the next four or five weeks over there. Have a great trip down to New Zealand, and um, you know, when we get next get to the next version of the um, of the crown, hopefully, you know, we go a couple of steps further. Thanks for joining us on the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Cheers, Good on Kat. you, Catherine Kirk, part of the Australian team that um, took on the very best in the world. We'll get a break out of the way here on Inside the Ropes. James Nitty's going to join us on the other side of the break. Hi, I'm Minji Lee, and I'm proud to be an ambassador for MyGolf, Australian Golf's national junior program. One of my favourite things about coming back to Australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. So, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. G'day, my name's Bob Shearer, the 1982 Australian Open champ. When you're listening on the radio, listen to the ropes for all the news and scoops coming up. Welcome back to the show. Uh, Victorian PGA's on this weekend, starting on Thursday down yeah. at Cape Shank. We're looking forward to this. It's going to be uh, a fantastic uh, local tournament again. A pretty storied trophy at the end of the day. This has been, around been. For a long time, so it's well worth Pretty storied commentary team going around this weekend too, Andy, I believe. Oh, oh Hello. <laughs> There's no. Is there any golf tournament in the world that you don't commentate on anymore, Whitaker? You are everywhere, which is no great surprise, by the way. You're very good at what you do. You got to you got to come home when you can, don't you? Yeah, I love the Vic events. Uh, it's a great opportunity for that neck of the woods to showcase what it's got, and that is a whole lot of great golf courses and a fantastic lifestyle available to people who are. Uh, in the region, one man who's sampling the lifestyle, I'm sure, but hopefully going to win the tournament, is a name well-known to all listeners of Inside the Ropes, and that is James Nitties. And he joins on the show. James, thanks for your time. No worries. Hello, boys and girls. Great to have you here. What um, what have you been sampling in the lead-up to uh, round one of the Victorian PGA Championship of 2018? Uh, not, not a whole lot. I, uh, I just got, got in yesterday and then today the weather's been a little bad and, 
um, we were able to get nine holes in and check out the front nine at Camp Shank. Uh, I heard the back nine is totally different and a little crazy, so I'll be interested to check that out uh, tomorrow. But, um, yeah, we, uh, we, we did a little uh, sampling at the brewery down at Jetty Road uh, Brewery, and uh, they, the PGA took us down there to uh, have a little taste and hit a couple shots and, uh, yeah, just check it out a little bit. So Hit a couple of shots as in, uh, like, spirits <laughs> or a couple of nine-irons? No, nah, we had a little chipping comp. Uh, I suppose you could have called it golf pong. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, we, were, we were very well behaved under the, uh, the, the legal limit to drive. So it, it, was, it was just more about having a look at the place and uh, seeing how it was run. Mate, you, when you say you've just arrived home, um, you know, you, you do spend a lot of your time in your states these days. How, how do you sort of, uh, when, see, when people say, where's home, what do you say? Um, <laughs> where, wherever I'm, I'm playing, I suppose, uh, it, it's tough to have a place to call home these days. And, um, I've got a girlfriend in America, so it's, uh, it, it's sad when I, when I can't hang out with her, but, you know, I, I grew up in Newcastle, so I, I would always call that home, and that's where most of my family is. But um, I've probably spent most of my adult life in America, so it, it's conflicting because I love, you know, coming home, and I'm always going to be an Australian. But it, it, I also have a lot of friends and um, interests in America, so I suppose I'm, I just hunt for uh, wherever there is summer. I suppose that's home for me, or wherever <laughs> I can actually get a Guernsey these days and, and be able to play in a tournament. So, of course, I'm trying to get on a tour and, and get a stable foundation of home, but at the moment, I'm pretty nomadic and just going to wherever they'll accept me. So, and that, that was my question really, mate, was, you know, everyone who's probably listening to this has seen you play or seen your results, and they, they know that your best is, you know, among the best that we've produced domestically for a while. Uh but yet the card situation sort of is a continual problem for you, isn't it? What what, are, what is your status now, and uh, what are you hoping for in the next eighteen to twenty four months? Yeah, my status is it's, I have weak uh, web dot com status, so I, I was a uh, I won on the web dot com tour, so I get past champions category for about ten years. But to put that in perspective, I got zero starts this year on the web dot com tour, so it really doesn't get me anything in America. So I, I did a lot of qualifiers and pretty much going from mini tour to PGA tour qualifier to web.com qualifier over in the middle of the year. And then um, over this side of the pond, I have uh, Australasian tour status, which, which has been great. I've had, I've been able to keep my card on the Aussie tour for about 30, my all 13 years that I've been a pro. So being able to have the off season for the, for American events, which is, um, you know, kind of when the brunt of our tour starts being sort of January, February, March, and then I suppose the end of the year over here. So it's it's allowed me to be able to go back there and chase it. And it, it, it kind of sucks a little bit because, you know, I took it for granted. Well, not granted, but I got a little bit stale when I was on the web.com tour. And it's a lot easier to keep your card on that tour than it is to lose it and then get it back. So there's so much talent in America and you know, I'm a bit long in the tooth, I suppose, and uh, I've been—I was playing every time I'm doing a qualifier over there. I'm playing with a 19 or 21 year old, and these guys—they all hit at 350, and you know, know how to go deep. So it, it's hard to to be competitive and have the drive that these kids have when 
I still have the drive to compete on a higher level. And, you know, I, I don't want my legacy to be um, what I did in 2009, 10, 11, when I was over there playing well on the PGA Tour. And, and I, I kind of want to get back there and prove that, you know, I still got it. So it it's, you know, I'm not sitting here saying, you know, woe is me, but I've, you, you've got to really take advantage of your opportunities when you get it. And um, because really there, there's so much talent in the golfing world these days. Well, James, I think you're being a, you're being a little bit humble in terms of your spot on the Aussie Tour because you're currently third on the order of merit <laughs> as it stands um, on the PGA Tour of Australasia. Is that a goal for you now? Are you just knuckling down trying to win the order of merit for the rest of the year? Yeah, definitely. Um, to put it in perspective, it's the best position I've ever been at on the Aussie Tour since I've ever holding a card at this point of the year. Um, a lot of my... You know, even when I was playing some of my, you know, best golf, or I suppose I'm playing pretty good golf at the moment, but it was, I was always chasing at the end of the year and never really had a, an opportunity to, I think one year I finished fifth on the Order of Merit, and that was kind of because I finished well at the end of the year. So, um, yeah, for me, it was, I didn't go to web.com Q school this year. Uh, it's it's a big call because I've done it every year that I haven't had status, status tried to get back on, on tour over there, but I, I really want to, you know, just give it a fair crack in Australia and you could possibly do all stages of web Q school and still play all the Aussie events. But um, I don't, I don't travel as well as I used to, like, you know, playing back to back nine and 10, 11 events in a row and then actually still competing at my optimum. It, it's a lot diffic- more difficult than when I was a little whippersnapper and uh, the body bounced back straight away. So um, I'm trying to just stay in Australia, try to, you know, we've we've got four events in a row, or three, four in the next five weeks, and they're all rather small events. But I don't want to get to the end of the year, and you know, I, I miss my card by, I mean, I miss a, a value position on the order of merit by two to three thousand, and um, and also when it all comes down to it, you to to compete on on the Aussie order of merit, really got to play well in those last three big events at the end of the year. So. You know, as much as I'd like to say these these events, the smaller events don't don't matter as much as those. You don't want to get to the end of the year and find out by fifty bucks that you you missed like a world golf event or even winning the money list. Mm. So you've always struck me, James, and, and us, and everyone who's watched you play. Um, you know, what you play, you you play by and large with a smile on your face, and you've always seemed like a really laid back, kind of approachable character. Um, is that the way you are about? Your, your circumstance and your status at the moment or do you you know when it's in your quiet moments and it's just you thinking about what's next do you kind of stress and get wound up about all this sort of stuff um if i said that i it, it didn't worry me or i didn't think about it i'd be lying but um at the end of the day what will be will be i know that i'm gonna you know work as hard as i can and all the cliches to give myself the best opportunity so i've I've always been on the course, like, you know, you, you can't really change the past. So it took me a while to get out of that, you know, young sort of bratty, uh, carry a couple holes with you as, as it does a lot of juniors and a lot of young amateurs or, and, you know, young pros. But, um, yeah, it's, I, I do realize I have a pretty good opportunity and playing well at Perth opened a lot of doors for me. I, I wish, uh, Alpha Barnrat would have let me give him the check for that tournament and give me the uh, European tour status. But 
Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was an emotional event because I was so close to having a place to play for the next two years. But at worst case scenario, you know, like I, I got an opportunity to make money this year and all my expenses are paid and then to be in a great, you know, position on the order of merit. So as much as I, I do put a little bit of pressure on myself and, you know, kind of stress out a about the opportunity I do have. It is a great position to be in, and I'd rather be here than not being here. So, yeah, you, I suppose everyone takes it a different way, and for me, it's I've just got to do as well as I can and whatever happen, will happen. So, Yeah, good answer. Nitz, I've seen you play some pretty good golf in Victoria before. Uh, how do you fancy the Cape Shank course from what you've seen of it? And who's your partner in the amateur ranks this week in the Vic PGA? Oh, you, you got me there. I, I don't know who my partner is. Um, I think we played kind of the same event a couple of years ago, and I had one of the Taylor Made jams, and we had a we had a cracking week. So it'd be awesome to get someone that I, you know, you get on well with, and is there to enjoy it as much as you know you want to play good golf. They they're kind of just kind of there to enjoy it, and you know have a have a fun weekend. But um, and yeah, as I said, I played nine holes today at Cape Shang, and. Apparently it was the boring nine, you know. It, it was beautiful <laughs> to me, but <laughs> I'm, I think there's going to be like a Tyrannosaurus Rex on the back nine or something. <laughs> oh no! Don't say that. No, it's got one of the longest, well, yeah. one of the longest greens in Victoria, I think, doesn't it, Cape Shank? Well, I did play that green today. I think it's the seventh or the, the sixth or seventh hole, and yeah, seventy-two meters. Uh, I, we hit a couple of putts from the back of the green. I was just trying not to take a divot, but. Uh, it's, uh, it's, pretty, it's pretty British Open like actually the front nine was which was I, I love Melbourne golf it, I think we have this state has the best collection of golf courses in the world that's my opinion but I that's coming from a New South Welshman so oh, that's, that's I, high praise from you mate from the new, new you won't get left back into uh, Newcastle music to well, it I was born here so <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I have my Victorian ties but no I love Absolutely love playing golf anywhere in Victoria. It's just golf done right. And, uh, yeah, I always jump at the opportunity to come down here. And I think Vic Open last year, I came down a week before the tournament. And, you know, they let me practice at the course. And I was like, hey, it's this place. I could easily have a little little shanty and, and live down here and play <laughs> golf and dip the toe in the pond. So it was um no i love it down here and, and cape Chang just it looks it looks amazing now i haven't seen you since you've come back obviously but um for any businessmen prospective business people out there who want to get a bit of air time i'd say that the nitty's face goes pretty well andy on tv goes better, than, goes better than mine that's for sure <laughs> and i'm sure james that you're carrying this hideous dallas cowboys thing on your bonds as we speak can we possibly get you for a few bucks to wear something else this, this week if someone wants to chip in well Anything's everyone's got a price, you know. So <laughs> it's. Uh, I mean, I, have you got the Cowboys thing on your head right now as we talk? I might as well get it tattooed on my head. That's how much I wear it. Um, Jerry Jones still hasn't given me free tickets to Cowboys games yet. But, uh, right. Yeah, and we're we're kind of doing pretty crappy this year, the Cowboys. But uh, again. You know, well, it's our division's doing bad. If anyone knows NFL football out there, we are. Uh, as bad as our team is, we we still got a chance to make playoffs if we keep it going. So, but yeah, that's I don't know. You, how can you not like the Dallas Cowboys hat? Best 
best sporting franchise in the world. <laughs> Get a Newcastle you've, Knights thing or something. You've lost your mind. I'm a Sharks fan. <laughs> <laughs> hey, mate, great to have you on the show. Good to hear you in good spirits. Um, it gives us something to focus on from a James Nitty's perspective, that race uh, for the Order of Merit over the coming months. And uh, we wish you all the very best. Enjoy your time in Victoria and... Uh, hit it well this weekend, and um, good luck, as we said, in the coming months. We appreciate you joining us on the show. No worries. Any time, guys. Any time. Good on you. Thanks, James. James Nitties, who's going to be part of the field turning it up, the Vic PGA down at Cape Chank. Joining us on Inside the Rope. Stick around. More to come after this. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program this is Rebecca Arda, professional golfer on the LPGA. Don't forget to listen to the podcast Inside the Rope. Catch up on all the golfing news around the world. Welcome back to the show. Fantastic to have James Nitties and Catherine Kirk on the show. Um, you got a bit of news about the Australian Open before we um, tidy yeah, this thing up? Just to um, wrap up a couple of things there with the Australian Open and also the PGA Championship too. Cam Smith, we announced earlier today, being Tuesday as we were recording, Cam Smith confirms he's going to defend his championship at the at Royal Pines, which is awesome, and he's going to come back and play the Australian Open as well at the Lakes in Sydney. Um, that's great news. Really building a nice field for the Open. Um, haven't got the superstar Americans, um, the Ricky Fowler, Tiger Woods types, but we're really building a nice field of the sort of next level down, and I think it's starting to generate a bit of interest, which is great. Um a few amateurs coming there, Andy. And just to wrap up this Asian Amateur Championship we spoke of earlier, um, among those will be the winner of that event, which is uh, Takumi Kanaya and Kaida Nakajima, who was the Australian Amateur Champion, by the way, here too. So they're both coming down to Australia. And I'm telling you, if you didn't watch the Asian Amateur Championship, oh my God. jets, absolute oh, my, jets. The, the, the quality of golf that those kids, they're young men, is producing. If they, if they were card-carrying members of a major tour on planet Earth, you wouldn't be surprised. The way they play, they're just high quality. There are probably 20 players who play down there who could be quite at home on a weekly basis yeah. playing in Asia or in Europe or America, I reckon. And, and we've already mentioned in previous weeks about the Japanese women on, on various tours around the world starting to really show out. And just a massive shout from an Australian perspective to Gareth Jones, who, uh, go Ellie, I didn't even realise you were going to say it until I just saw your face. But... Go on. No, it's, well, it's good. He's, he's essentially the national coach of the Japanese Golf Association and has been making strides. He's based out of South Australia originally, was the coach for the AIS when, um, mm-hmm. when that was happening down uh, down the Mornington Peninsula and that kind of thing. But um, he just pops up everywhere at mm. the moment. Anytime I'm out watching, you know, <laughs> I'm in Asia somewhere and then one of you, know, you see one of the Japanese girls playing well and then he's on the sidelines. He's doing really good things. So That's awesome. Shout out to the Aussie Connection. Absolutely. Right. Um, we had Michelle Watts on the show oh, last week. Go, you good thing. Over in Italy. A couple of weeks ago. Two weeks ago. Uh, a blind golfer. Um she came on and was fantastic. I, awesome. I thought with her time from, I think she was in Siena, I think, from she memory, was, yep, heading yep, to play the World Championships, the World Blind Golf Championships, the New South Welsh woman. And uh, look, she's done amazing things, Andy. We had on the show, would you believe, the new world champion. How good's that? Just uh, um, a little clap 
for you, Michelle. Well I, 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 I hopefully you listen to this. Um, the team did really well. I have we're we're struggling to piece together the actual results. Martin Blake, our blind golf correspondent, is going to do a story in the next coming couple of days on golf.org.au. So check that out when it pops up. But we all know that Michelle Watts is the new um, new world champion in her division. Uh, outstanding to you. Well played. Hey, um, Ali, just make sense of these numbers, right? We've spoken to Kath Kirk earlier on the show, and she's talking about wanting to increase her you know, sort of driver head speed. She swings comfortably at about 95 miles per hour, right? We've heard a bit about Cameron Champ, who uh, has come through the ranks in American golf and played his, uh, made his PGA Tour uh, tournament debut last week. These were his numbers, right? So he's not, he's not trying to crush it on a range just to show off. But these are his numbers uh, for the first tournament he played. So he makes sense of this. Um, 129 miles per hour swing speed. 129 miles per hour average swing speed. 192.67 miles per hour ball speed. 318.6 yards carry distance average. 328.4 average driving distance. 1.625 shots gained off the tee. Just, just... What do those numbers tell you? That was the, that's obscene. That's, that's the sound of Ali's jaw hitting the bench. <laughs> They're amazing numbers. It's a good thing there's not a camera in here right now. I yeah. can tell you that much, but that is unbelievable. Uh, that's about at least, I would say, nearly 10% higher than what I was expecting, mm. you would say, mm. even for a longer hitter. So what, what, I'm just going back on this. 129 is the thing that where your jaw hit the ground the most. Uh, um for a nervous first year on the tour, kid, that's not too bad, is it? Probably what not did... letting himself go. No, yeah. I'm sure he was yeah. well within himself, you know. Excited, but within himself. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spray it around here and make an idiot of myself first out. What did you used to swing at, club head speed? Uh, I'd be high 90s. Mm. Yeah, roughly. I mean, I, and I was probably maybe slightly above average off the tee. But, I mean, the, the longest players on the female side are really mid, maybe 105s to 108s. With their driver, and they're and they're g- girls that could compete with, I'd say the majority of men. Yep. Um, maybe on the lower end of the guys, kind of averages, I'd say. But anything over one twenty, and that's really pumping it. So Lucas Herbert, for reference, Andy, when we were doing that, yep, that test, that was right on one nineteen point eight, one nineteen point seven, one nineteen point nine. It goes pretty hard. It goes yeah. really hard. Yeah. The average yeah. is one thirteen for the men's tour. One twenty nine, Cameron Champ. The average is one thirteen. Um, Thank, thankfully, we'll be able to find um, Alan Shipnuck's extra thousand meters on the end of every course, Andy. <laughs> that's all I can say. Now we're going to get Stacey Keating, uh, who's also a part of the Inside the Race family. We're going to get her on the show in a week or two's time to talk about the Youth Olympics. Is that the same person as Stacey Peters? Oh my god! <laughs> Did I just do that? <laughs> we should have a like a swear jar type donation every time we call her. The Keats jar. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but when well, you hear all her... Well, for some of the things I've done today, so... When you hear all her um, peers, I all still call her Keats. That's disgraceful, So true. So true. We're sorry, leading sorry. you astray. I'm so sorry, Peter's family. That's terrible. <laughs> so, yeah, we go, we'll get um, Stacey in um, if her passport cools down sufficiently that she can get back oh, in the country because she's on fire at the moment. And she's as we speak, she's sitting in a um, hotel room in Buenos or a, a dorm room of the Australian Olympic Village. Um, in Buenos Aires, Argentina, for the Youth Olympic Games, which is fantastic. And she's alongside or mentoring Grace Kim and Carl Phillips. And interestingly enough, Stace and I actually played a World Cup together in BA in Argentina, and that was, I think it was 2010. 
And for those of you that don't know her, she is usually in bed by 8.30 p.m. at night. She's going to kill me for saying this. But she's also up at like 4.30 or 5 in the morning to go to the gym. But you can't get a reservation earlier than 8 p.m. But your tea times might still be 7.30 off the tea. So it's quite an interesting place to play high-level golf, South America, just because the golf doesn't change, but the culture really changes around it. So it's probably a good thing that they're in some kind of village because maybe there's a little wiggle room there. Otherwise, you're eating at 9.30 yeah, or 10 right. at night. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, so I'm led to believe, Andy, that um, when they went for the opening ceremony on Saturday at Argentinian time, so Sunday here, um, they did it down the, the main street of Buenos Aires, which is, I, I, in my mind, Stacey explained it as being like Champs-Élysées in Paris, you know, like a main drag with a point at the end. You know. um, there were 200,000 people flanking the Buenos Aires Champs-Élysées. That's awesome. <laughs> Whatever it's called. I should, have done, called. I should have done my research. <laughs> Plaza, Plaza de Lisée or something. Yeah, something yeah, like that. Right, yeah. um, and they said it was just absolutely phenomenal. The kids were blown away. So like two MCGs chock That's full right. of people on the side of the road and they got down into the stage and you know had a bit of a dance with all the other athletes at the opening ceremony and um, I think they're pretty pumped just quietly. Good place to be. Hey, don't forget golf month. Uh, we're into the second week of golf month. If you haven't seen the Tom Hawkins Marquez video, you're becoming a video a magnet <laughs> for people who just want to see you doing your work and hearing your voice, Hazy. Uh, with the My Golfers crew, head to Golf Australia's Facebook or YouTube page. Nothing better and seeing a bunch of 9, 10, 11-year-old kids trying to hit an AFL player who's oh. in a golf buggy trying to pick up golf balls on a golf driving range. They've never been keen at hit balls. Oh, my God. It was great. Um, hundreds of activities happening at golf clubs all over the place. Facilities all over the country throughout golf month, which is in October. Perfect way to bring people to the game. If you want to know more about it, go to golfmonth.com.au to find an activity near you. And we urge everyone, share the game you love with the people you love. It's almost like Valentine's Day wrapped into golf, my thing. It's just a lot of love around the place. And um, don't forget, don't forget the uh, play nine. We're oh, coming, yeah, we're coming towards the end of this because the the Australian final is obviously at the national championship at the Lakes uh, in mid November. So get onto golf.org.au forward slash play nine, win your way to the Lakes, play in the Australian Open, and if you do well, you get to carry the Australian flag all the way to Royal Port Rush for the Open next year. What a delicious prospect that is, Ellie. Sounds good. How lovely to see you again. Don't oh, be a stranger. It's just delightful to see you guys. <laughs> She's just dripping with sincerity. Hello, Hazy. Ah, oh, goodbye, Hazy. Hello and goodbye. Andy. Hello to you and goodbye and good night. It's, it's and like the you. two Ronnies. It is a bit like the two Ronnies. Just say aloha. Did you get it? Like hello. Oh, and goodbye. hello and goodbye. That's what I was going. Yeah. Oh, nice work. You guys from, yeah. stared at me like I had three no, heads. No, you're <laughs> no, you're sharper than us. I'm trilingual. We, we, that is it. <laughs> uh, episode sixty-four of Inside the Ropes. Done and dusted. Thanks for tuning in, folks. Uh, Back to do it all again next week.